Good morning. Thank you for joining our program again. I hope that our ministry has been blessing your heart. I hope that you're praying for us at Family of Grace as we continue to try to be a church that is breaking social and racial barriers and economic barriers in our city to help healthy and hurting people become all that God has for them to be. At Family of Grace today, we hope that this message will bless your heart. I hope that you will begin to understand the principle of being the bride of Christ and how that pertains to your life on a daily basis. If you have your Bible, would you take it and join us in the book of Ephesians in chapter 5. I believe the Lord will bless your heart. Today, I want us to speak about the pillar of the pillar of the bride. You say, Pastor, what in the world does the bride have to do with being a pillar? Well, if you can grasp this concept, when another lover comes a-knocking, you'll be faithful. Amen. If you can grasp the concept of what Christ is doing in your life, when another lover starts flirting with you in this world, and I'm not talking about a physical lover in, in the physical sense, while there is a strong parallel to what Christ is teaching here. Matter of fact, I believe the fifth, the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians is the, the, book, the chapter in this book that is tapped the least to the fullness of what God was really trying to teach that baby church at Ephesus. Because we have to remember that that baby church of Ephesus was on the doorstep. Their neighboring church was the temple of Diana who was the sex goddess. And the faithfulness in your relationship wasn't a high commodity. Matter of fact, in biblical days, many people had many wives. And they split, they divided their hearts for other lovers. And, and in this book, God is trying to drive home a point at the doorstep of the temple of adultery, at the temple of polygamy, at the temple of orgies, at the temple of sexual addictions. God was trying to drive home to a pure church that says, I am a jealous lover. And I want you to understand something very clearly. Now look at this with me, if you will. We're going to read a bunch of verses because I want you to get the full... You, you, you can't understand the whole text if you don't grasp all these verses. So just bear with me for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Paul writes this. Because you're a new man, now you need to be an imitator of God. As dearly loved children... And I want you to walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself as a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But far as all this sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you because it's not proper for the saints. All this coarse jesting, foolish talking, crude joking, are not suitable, but rather just give thanks. For now recognize this, that no sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Now, verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty arguments. For because of these, God's wrath is coming upon people who don't obey. Therefore do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, 
But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in fruitless works of darkness. But instead, why don't you expose them? For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in their secret places. Everything exposed by the light is made clear. For what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, get up you sleeper, rise up from the dead. The Messiah will shine his light on you. Now, pay careful attention to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise people. Making the most or redeeming the time. Because we live in evil days. So don't be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. Let that just settle in. The will of the Lord is not a mystery. But it's not something to be sought after. But something to be understood. Underline that in your Bible. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Look at verse 22. Now, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her a holy bride, cleansing her in the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the bride, the church, to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle or any such thing, but to be holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands, you should love your wives as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father, and two be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Get this. This is the most important part. Verse 32. Here's why we read all this. This is this mystery is profound. But I am talking about Christ and the church. Now underline that in your Bible. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now here's what I want you to grab. This mystery is profound. I am speaking about Christ and his church. I am speaking about the bride and the bridegroom. From the Old Testament into the New, there's the typology that Christ, the Messiah, would come and be the bridegroom and those that he redeemed would be the bride. I'm afraid that when most people dive into Ephesians chapter 5, we just that's where preachers go to try to find a sermon on marriage. 
But here's what Christ is saying. He, in this passage of Scripture, he is drawing a parallel. And the Scripture is not really all about husbands and wives as much as it is about you and Christ. And what Christ is saying is that if you can understand what a pure marriage looks like, you understand what my relationship with you wants to be like. And if you have a pure relationship with me, then that will translate into a pure relationship with your wife and a husband. Husband and wife, and wife and husband. He says here that the Christ, that the husband should love his wife like Christ loved the church. Boy, you know a lot of a lot of men want to complain about, man, my wife don't listen, my wife don't submit, she wants to do her own thing. And he says, boy, the Bible says, and I say that you should love your wife just like Jesus loved his church. You love your wife like Christ loves the church. It puts things in a whole new paradigm, a whole new reality. Now, when we think about this, here's what I want you to understand. There's three things that Paul is really driving home here in all of these verses. Number one, you have to understand the significance of the marriage. Now, in the days that Jesus was writing this, the marriage was a big to-do. You say, well, preacher, marriages are still big to-dos. Yes, they are. And I have been to some big old to-dos. And then, I mean, when we think about this, I have been to weddings, I have officiated over weddings that, that um, the flowers may cost as much as some people's salary for a year. But that's not what brings the presence of God. The dress, the dress, as great as it is, is not what brings the presence of God upon a marriage. And whenever they would get ready to have a marriage in the, in the biblical times, it was a big ordeal. It wasn't something that you found your lover and you ran, ran down to the justice of the peace and, and got married. It was a big ordeal. And from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, Christ is presented as the bridegroom and us as the bride. Matter of fact, in the beginning of the New Testament, in, uh, it was said about this, about John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, I am only a friend of the, bride, of the bridegroom. I am not the bridegroom. I am a friend of the bridegroom. What does the bridegroom do? The bridegroom prepares the way. I mean, the, the friend of the bridegroom prepares the way for the groom to receive his bride. Now, in the days that Jesus was giving this example, here's kind of what a Jewish marriage would look like. There was a big ordeal that the son would get with the father and the father would help seek out the bride. They would find a bride that wasn't filled with loose living. They would find a bride that had a heart to serve, a heart to love, a heart to be a wife, a heart to be a mother. And the father would then seek out the bride for the son. And when they would find it, then there would be this big feast of trumpets. And then the, the, it would be called the coronation. And then the bridegroom would go to where the bride was. He would meet the father. There would be this big ordeal, this big festival. He would meet the father. And when he would meet the father, he would pay a price for the bride. He would bring money and he would pay the price for the bride. And all you dads who have girls are like, well, that's, that sounds pretty good. He would have to pay for the bride. And then... He would do something else. Not only was there a payment that was made, there was a contract that was written. There was a contract that was written between the 
bridegroom and the father. A word was given. And then wine, he brought wine with him, and then they would drink together. Now, when we think about that, that's the way it happened. After this took place, the bridegroom would then depart. He would go back to his father's house. And for the next two years normally, he would work and add a room onto the father's house, which would be known as the marriage chamber, the honeymoon chamber, the bridal chamber. And that, that son would work diligently on the father's house. And add on a room to the father's house. And when the room was ready, when he had prepared for the when he had prepared the way for his bride, when he had laid up all preparations for the bride, the one that he had engaged, the one that he had entered into a contract with the father for, he would then rise up. And he would begin, the trumpets would begin to sound. And they would blow the trumpets. And the bridegroom would begin to come for his bride for the wedding day. And there would be the sounding of the trumpets. The bridegroom coming. The bride during that time would begin to prepare herself to be a bride. She'd prepare herself to be a wife. She'd prepare herself to be a mother. It was a great preparation. The coronation launched it, but then there was this great preparation. This whole thing began to take place for sometimes two, three years. Matter of fact, there was a saying that was known against the Jewish people. Because his friends would always come around and say, Hey man, when are you going to get your bride? When are you going to get your bride? When are you going to get your bride? And, and, and there was a saying that went like this, Only the Father knows when that time is ready. Because there was this father-son relationship in Jewish tradition. And when the father saw that the son had made all the provisions for the bride, he would then say, now son, you can go and get your bride. And when the father gave the nod, the son would then go and receive the bride and have the wedding ceremony. Oh, now you're picking up where I'm headed. Because Jesus said, upon his return to heaven, I do not leave you here as orphans. I am going to prepare a place for you. For in my Father's house, there are many bridal chambers. There are many rooms in my Father's house. If it were not so, I would not have told you so. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. Lord, when are you coming again? I don't know when I'm coming again, Jesus said. I don't know. The Son doesn't know. The angels don't know. Only the Father in heaven knows. I am telling you that Jesus came here on a mission to seek and to save the wretched bride, the bride that was defiled, the bride that was damned, the bride that was a scarlet lover, the bride that didn't deserve a bridegroom. Jesus came looking for it. And I don't care how deep the sin may be, that Jesus is the one who came to seek and to save the bride, to redeem the bride that in man's eyes was unredeemable, the one that nobody else wanted. And Jesus began the preparation phase. In this passage of Scripture, we see the preparation phase. Paul says, last week, in that sermon, the pillar of a new man. If you're going to be a new man, therefore you need to, you need to be an imitator of Christ. 
You need to begin the preparation phase as a bride. How do, we, how do we as the bride of Christ begin to enter into that preparation phase? Well, if you go back and you look at it right here very clearly, he says a couple of things. He says, walk in love. Run from wickedness, flee from idolatry, free from adultery, embrace the light, run to the light, flee the darkness. He says you need to begin to prepare your you need to begin to prepare yourself. The bride would prepare herself for two years to make ready to see the bridegroom. Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you've ever been around a bride before the wedding, there's a lot of preparing that goes on. But even with all the preparing that we do today, it doesn't hold a, a candle to the preparation that took place for the Jewish bride. So she prepared herself to be the bride physically, spiritually. And then it was something else. You had to protect the bride. Jesus says in this passage of Scripture, we read it a little bit further over. He says this in verse 15, pay careful attention. See that you walk circumspectly, that you walk rightly is what that's saying. I mean, when you enter into a contract to be a bride with a groom, you don't live, I hope, the same way you lived before. You don't go out and do the same things you've done. You walk in a different manner. And that bridegroom, uh, that bridegroom, while he was preparing a place, while they were separated, while they didn't have a phone, while they didn't have texting, while they didn't have Skype to video chat with each other, while they were separated, worlds apart, all the bridegroom could do was get a couple of secret messages by a courier from time to time. But that bride had to not only prepare herself physically, she had to protect herself physically. She couldn't go and do the same things that she may have lived before because she had to protect. She had to walk in a way that would not defile. Not defile the bridegroom. She had to live in a way that would not break the contract that she had agreed to become the bride. She had to live in a manner that would bring honor to her father, honor to her bridegroom. And Paul's saying right here on the doorsteps of the temple, Diana, the great goddess of sex, he's saying there's no more of this. Flee from this. You don't have to go whoring around any longer looking for a God to love you. There is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who has come to be your bridegroom. He's come to seek and to save you. He is preparing the way. He is preparing the way. He is preparing the way. Now will you prepare yourself for the bridegroom as the bride? Look at what it says here very clearly. See then that you walk rightly. And then he enters into this interesting verbiage. And, and these sentences that says that Christ wants to be your head. The church is the bride. Now here's what I want you to understand. I'm not making this up. In verse 32 it says this is a profound mystery. I am talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. Now, normally, when we hear sermons on, on this passage of Scripture from verses 22 through 31, here's, it's all about how wives should submit to their husbands, husbands should respect their, this whole ordeal of marriage. But here's what the real driving point is. That Christ is your example. And you need to prepare yourself. See, there's the preparation here that we must deal with. 
I mean, there's a separation where they separate from each other, but then there's the preparation. The, the bride separates herself from the rest of society, and then she begins to prepare herself for the celebration. She separates herself. The father makes the agreement. The son comes. The contract is given. You know, in some typology, the Bible says in John 5 and 8, there are three that bear witness. There are three that bear witness. The... Uh, the, the Word and the Spirit, and, and these things that we begin to connect these dots here, God's beginning to drive home some points, and when we look at it, the, the, in the Jewish marriage, He would bring the, the contract, He would bring the price, the dowry, and He'd bring the wine. We know that the water is God's Word, which is a contract that He's made with us. It says it right here in these verses. It says that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit. And the blood was the price. What was the price that Jesus paid for you? His blood, his body. Our bridegroom laid down his life. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, For do you not know that you were bought with a price? Therefore glorify God with your heart, with your mind, with your soul, with your spirit. There was that moment of the separation when the bridegroom went his way. And the bride went her way for the preparation that there may be a celebration. I'm not making this up. Look at what it says right here. That one day he may present himself a bride without spot and without blemish. And without blemish. On the day that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we enter into a contractual agreement with Jesus that he is the bridegroom, we are the bride, and one day he's coming to bring us to where he is. But he is wanting to bring a bride that is spotless. There used to be this thing. I don't think it really exists anymore. But back in the day, uh, and they literally abided by this, that you know, if you were a virgin, then you would wear a white gown at your wedding day. If you weren't a virgin, if you had had sex or you'd been married with anything like that, then you would not be able to wear white. That was in our culture. Because it, it signified that you are a tainted lover. Are you with me? But Jesus comes in and looks at the most wicked adulterers standing at the temple of adultery. He says, I want to take you adulterers adulterers and make you a bride without blemish i want to take you who are broken you who are doomed you who are damned i want to make you a bride without blemish without spot without wrinkle sometimes i'll put on a shirt my wife will say you're not wearing that that's wrinkled take that off Sometimes I'll put on a shirt and I'll say, oh, that's got a spot on it. I'll take it off. How did that get there? Oh, man, that was my favorite shirt. How did that get there? And Jesus looks at us with all of our spots, with all of our wrinkles. And he says, I'm preparing you to be my bride. That one day I'm going to bring you to where I am. Let me finish with this. 
Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19 says this about this celebration. What an awesome passage of scripture this is. In Revelation 19, he lays it out in this way. Then all of a sudden, I heard the sound of many voices as a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters. If you've ever been around a big waterfall or roaring water, I mean, you just you, you have to yell to talk. He says, I heard a, a sound a, of a voice like cascading waters. And, and it, was, it was like a rumbling of loud thunder. And here's what the voice said. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Because our Lord God the Almighty has begun to reign. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has prepared herself. And she has been now permitted to wear a fine linen, bright and pure. Oh, yes, the old scarlet lover who was tainted by the world now can wear the white linen. One of the greatest phrases as a young teenager I remember hearing was the term recycled virginity. When the true love waits campaign came out, they would use the term a recycled virgin. Oh yes, it may not bring about your physical virginity back again, young people, but what it would do is a way of saying, God, I know that I've missed the mark. God, I know I didn't wait for marriage, but God, right now I come before you and I give myself to you, and God, I want you to recycle me. And I want you to know in the book of Revelation, in chapter 19, ah, the voice of heaven begins to round like a sound of many waters, and it says, guess what? The Lord has begun to reign. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. There has been a long preparation phase, but the bride has made herself ready, and the groom is on his way, and now she has been able to wear the white linen and celebrate what God is doing. Wow. For the linen represents the righteous act of the saints. I love how God just explains stuff. <laughs> what does the whiteness mean? The righteous act of the saints. And then verse 9. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. The marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, These words of God are true. Then I fell down at his feet and began to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that because I am a fellow slave with you and your brothers who have testimony about Jesus, worship God because he is the true testimony. Jesus, the spirit of prophecy. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. As we've gone through this sermon today, maybe you've realized, Pastor, I've never received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you're, you've never become the bride of Christ. Right where you are, in your home there, it's simple. You just pray a prayer that says, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, thank you for saving me. Give your heart to him. Sign over the title deed to your life, so to speak. Invite him to come and live in your life, and he will transform you. And then find you somebody, find you a church somewhere, and plug in, because the bridegroom's coming for the bride. And then maybe you're already the bride of Christ, but you've been off kind of like we talked about with Jose and Gomer, and you've been off in a far country, maybe today is time for you.
to come home in your relationship with Christ. Just say, Lord, start afresh in my life, and he'll begin right there. Let us know what God's doing in your life. Come take the journey with us, and we'll see great things happen. Thank you for joining us today. We would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor that made this program possible. At FCA, we're touching millions one heart at a time. Since 1954, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes has been putting the heart and soul in sports by challenging athletes and coaches to impact the world for Jesus Christ. As the largest sports ministry in the world, FCA now reaches over 2 million people annually on the professional, college, high school, junior high, and youth levels. Through this shared passion for athletics and faith, lives are changed one heart at a time. Learn more at fca.org.